So, you may or may not know, but I was, a, I was a homeschool kid, and that explains a lot. <laughs> uh, the transition that I made from junior high to the first freshman day of high school, it was a little challenging for me. Actually, I was stressed out of my mind. I was going to a school where there were 2,000-plus students, 2,000 students who knew how this worked. So many of them knew each other. They knew what the bell schedule was. They knew what this thing on the, on the schedule named nutrition was. I had no idea what that was. They knew how to get food. They knew how to get in line at the cafeteria. They had money to pay for things. I was stressed out of my mind. Not only was I stressed out of my mind, I was a bit out of touch. I didn't know how to dress. My socks were too high, and my shorts were too short and my shirt was too baggy, and there was way too much gel in my hair. I remember I was just describing it earlier to somebody. I remember sitting there. I got dropped off early, about half an hour early to school, and I was sitting there on a bench, and the first thing someone said to me was, why are your socks so high? <laughs> Not only that, the, the zipper on my backpack was about ready to split in two because it was filled with every single one of my textbooks. And that's because I couldn't figure out the rusty combination lock on my old locker. My back hurt. My head hurt. It, the, whole, the whole campus seemed like it was just spinning and moving around like the deck of an Alaskan crab boat. I felt like I was, I was drunk, but by some miracle, I ended up in the classroom on time. And I remember unzipping that thing and pulling out that brand spanking new notebook, setting it up there, a freshly sharpened number two pencil, set that down, twiddling my thumbs, waiting to go. And the teacher finally came up and said, I want to welcome all you juniors and seniors to AP Biology. <laughs> Not a good day. Have you ever gotten it wrong? Man, I got it wrong that day. But that's okay, right? Because our teachers tell us it's okay to be wrong. The important thing is that you what? Learn from your mistakes <laughs> or just try, right? Don't be afraid to fail. Be afraid not to try. And sometimes, someone once said this, sometimes it takes a wrong turn to get you in the right place. It's okay to be wrong, right? It's okay to fail, right? Well, the answer is, is, is yes, but it's also no, isn't it? Well, it might be okay to choose the wrong flavor of ice cream. Right? You choose rainbow sherbet over chocolate chip, you've made a big mistake. But that's okay. You can live to fight another day. But when it comes to the things that are so important in life, when it comes to where you are going to spend forever, where you are going to spend eternity, that is not something that you want to get wrong. We're in the book of Acts this morning. We're in chapter 8, and that's where it sheds some light on what it looks like to get it wrong in the worst way possible. 
There, there are actually four things we're going to pull out of this passage today that you do not want to get wrong. You'd be better off walking into the wrong classroom on the first day of school. You'd be better off showing up to your wedding day in sweatpants and flip-flops. You'd be better off with a booger hanging out of your nose on the first date. Oh, four things you don't want to get wrong. And we know about these four things because the man that we are talking about, that we are looking at his life here in Acts chapter 8, is a man who got it wrong. A man named Simon. Luke tells us in Acts chapter 8, verse 9, he had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. Oh, to be somebody great. Wouldn't that be great? To be somebody great? I wanted to be someone great. Did you want to be someone great? You put on that cape. <laughs> Have you ever put on a mask? Or maybe you grabbed the four corners of a blanket and you went up to the top bunk and you jumped off that thing like some paratrooper behind enemy lines? Somebody great. Or maybe if you're like one of my daughters, one of my daughters when she was really young, she got a microphone, a toy microphone that actually worked from her, her Nona, her great-grandmother. And man, she blessed our delicate ears. Those screeching sounds of the next would-be American idol. Yeah. Ah. Simon was a man who wanted to be great. He worked hard to make sure that everyone else knew that he was great. And a lot of people bought it. Look at verse 10. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. Magic. What kind of magic was he doing? Well, it was probably a combination of different things. Probably some science mixed in with some superstitious spiritualism. And so he's probably using math. He's probably using some chemistry here. He's probably using optical illusions. He's probably also using things like, uh, like divination and astrology, and he's bringing all of this together, whatever tools he possibly can put together in a package that is going to blow people's socks or sandals off, I should say, back in that day. And the Samaritans, they, they bought it. They believed it. Well, they believed all kinds of different things. If you were here with us last week, we explained that they believed in, many of them believed in the one true God of Israel. Yes, but they believed in a lot of other gods as well. There was a syncretism going on there. And when you think about it, that's not very different from what's going on today. As, as, as the world gets smaller, we're traveling all over the place, different people are mixing with each other, and now with the, the internet, you know, information is going all over the place, and people are piecemealing their faith and everything that they believe in. So they got all kinds of different beliefs, all kinds of different tricks, all kinds of different potions and magical cures and secrets to get what you want out of life. Let's make this life great, right? And if you walk into a home, you might see a cross hanging over the doorway, but you know what? You might also see some crystals in the windowsill. Or you might see some, some special oils up on the counter. Or you might see, uh, back, in the, back in the backyard garden, you might see some, some Buddha figurines there. 
They're pulling it all together. It's kind of like the Hindu temple that I went to, I, I visited in college uh, where you go into that holy, special place and you look around and you go, there's a, there's a picture of, of Buddha over here and, and Vishnu over here and Krishna and Kali. But then what is this picture of Jesus here too? It's like they just, we'll just bring everyone in. The more the merrier, right? And so these people in Samaria, they believed Simon. And the more they believed in Simon, well, the more he believed in himself as well. And that's not, that's not a big deal, is it? To believe in yourself? Well, it's not a big deal if by believing in yourself, you're just talking about having enough confidence in the morning to get yourself out of bed and, and make your way to school or to work or to get up in the morning and, and face another day with uh, the kids. <laughs> but it's another thing if by believing in yourself, you're talking about being so proud of who you are and what you can do that you fool yourself into thinking that you're better than everybody else, or you fool yourself into thinking you don't need anybody else, or, or, or that you don't need this God that everybody is talking about. In fact, God would actually be lucky to have you on his team. And if that's what you mean, then you're getting it very, very, very wrong. The first thing that you can get wrong that we see in this passage is your identity. People get this wrong all the time. Simon did that in a big way. As a magician, it, it seems that he not only claimed to have special powers from God, but he actually believed himself to be some type of a version of God. People were saying, this man is the power of God. It's like the, the power of God is made manifest in this man. It's his representative. It's, his, it's, his, it's God in the flesh. Who knows what they were actually believing here. And from what we can tell here in Acts chapter 8, not only did he not stop them from saying that, but it seems like he really liked it. Is that such a big deal? And what's the problem with getting your identity wrong? Well, for one thing, you're believing a lie. Galatians 6.3 says, if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. I, I remember, we must have learned that, that verse in Sunday school way back in the day. I grew up with a bunch of brothers, and we used to walk around to each other and say, you think you're something nothing? <laughs> it was our way of insulting each other. We were really cool. <clears throat> you're believing a lie. And if you're believing a lie, they're going to be living in a way that is not in line with the way things really are. You're going to be living as if things that, 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 that really aren't are. I mean, just imagine if I thought I was Superman. That's embarrassing. If I imagine that I'm Superman then I'm going to be going around doing all sorts of things that I think that Superman should be able to do. And it's probably not going to turn out well, is it? If I think that I have super strength and I go crashing into that brick wall, oh. if, if I go leaping from that tall building, that's not going to go well. If I think that I can duck into a phone booth, one of those glass phone booths, and change super speed, 
fast and no one is going to see me naked. <laughs> if I convince people that they can rely on me, that, that just call me, right? Call me if you are having a life-threatening emergency. It's not going to go well. And neither is it going to go well if I think that I'm just all that. If I think that I'm, I'm better than everyone else, people aren't going to want to talk to me. I'm probably going to end up a lonely person. In fact, I'm probably not going to be someone who asks for help very often because, you know, I got it together. And I'm probably going to convince people, try to convince people, you can rely on me. You can trust me. And I'm probably going to let them down over and over again. I'm, I'm definitely not going to recognize my need for God. I'm not going to look to him. I'm not going to obey him because I'm going to be doing everything that I want to do. Where's that going to get me? Where did it get Adam and Eve? And where did it get the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? And where did it get that king? If you, if you grew up going to Sunday school, you might know King Nebuchadnezzar. Where did that get him? He stands up on top of his palace and says, look at all these things. Look at what I have accomplished. You know what the Bible tells us? It tells us, Job 35, 12, it tells us God doesn't answer those who are filled with pride doesn't answer them. It says, God actually hates pride. That's Proverbs 6.16. Proverbs 16.5 actually says, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. James 4.6 says, God is opposed to the proud. Who wants to have the God who created heaven and earth opposed to you? Who wants to have him punish, punish you? Oh, me, me. <laughs> no. The reality is pride, in one way or the other, will be the death of you. It was pride that separated us from God in the first place, was it not? Rather than listening to God, doing what he wanted them to do, Adam and Eve did their own thing. And it's pride also that keeps us from admitting that we have sinned, it keeps us from looking up to heaven and to Jesus as our one and only hope. It's pride that will keep us out of heaven. What did Jesus say? He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those aren't the proud people. Essentially, he's saying, blessed are the humble, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, the poor in spirit, those are the people who get their identity right. They know that they need a savior. You can think that you're all that. You can think you're Superman. You can think you're something, someone super special. You might even convince others to believe it too. You might get them to uh, subscribe to your channel. <laughs> you might get them to read your books or listen to your songs or watch your movies, but you will be sadly mistaken in the end. Don't get your identity wrong. God is great, not you. He is greater than I, amen? The second thing you don't want to get wrong is your hope. Don't get your hope wrong. Look at verse 12. It says, but when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. All these people in Samaria getting baptized, both men and women. 
even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles he performed, he what? He was amazed. So when Philip came to town and started preaching and started doing all kinds of miracles, you can imagine what would have happened inside of this magician named Simon. Wait, wait, hey, hey, you guys, come back here. Come back to my show. You can imagine he would have been probably a little jealous. It doesn't say that, but I think it's there. But at the same time, he was totally impressed. There is no denying what's going on here through this guy, Philip. This is, this is real stuff that's happening. I know I, I can do some tricks here. I got some things up my sleeve, but this is real. Have you ever walked into Costco? First thing you see, whoa, TVs. <laughs> it's not the way it used to be when I was growing up. These things are big. Now, you may have a great TV at home, right? It might be big. It might be colorful. It might, might work. <laughs> it might be flat. But if your TV is more than a couple months old, you got nothing. <laughs> you go in there and you go, I need a new TV. Simon was both amazed and convinced by the signs and the miracle that he saw Philip doing. It even says he, he believed. It even says he was baptized. But as we're going to see in a few moments, he wasn't doing it because he was a sinner in need of a savior. What Simon wanted was a bigger TV. He believed the magic show he thought he was seeing, and he wanted to know, how can I learn these tricks you know what Simon had? He had the wrong hope. He was hoping what he wanted was the wrong thing. Do, see, do people sometimes come to Jesus wanting the wrong stuff? Do they come for the wrong reasons? Maybe some people come to church because their parents are Christians. Maybe they, maybe they come to Jesus because they want to be a part of the community. Maybe they come to church so that they might take advantage of, of the generosity of those people. I, I'm going to get some free handouts here. These are nice people. Yes, they are. Back in the day, people came to church or were a part of a church, joined the church, gave to a church because that was a way of being recognized as a respected member of the community. Kids go to youth group <laughs> because of the fun, because of the pizza, because of the games. Hey, let's admit, because of the guys, because of the girls. Men and women go to church because, you know what, it makes me feel like I'm a better person when I go to church. Some people even go to churches because the pastor is, he, he hits it, man. He's, he's charismatic. He, he's interesting to listen to. He's hitting all of the topics that are on my mind right now, and that's why I'm going to church. And so going to church and calling yourself a Christian, it become, be, can become something other than what it's really all about. And that is worshiping our great God and turning to Jesus as our one and only hope in life and death. So often people come to this thing called church or Christianity because they just want to add something, another thing, another layer to make their life better. Friends, salvation is not a superpower. It's just not. 
Simon went through all the motions. He even got dunked in the water. He started hanging out with the crowd, but he didn't do it because he believed that Jesus was the one who could save him from his sins, but he wanted the powers that Philip was displaying. And so his belief wasn't the kind of belief that would save him, but it was more like the belief that James talks, James talks about, the kind of faith that the demons have. They recognize Jesus, but they aren't trusting in Jesus as their one and only hope. Don't get your hope wrong. Turn to Jesus. Be part of his church. Get baptized because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Because there is no other way to God the Father but through him. He got his identity wrong. He got his hope wrong. He also got his currency wrong. Does that sound strange? Look at verse 14. It says, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. We have to verify here that the work that is going on over 40 miles to the north, that that's actually legit. Is this, is this really God working there? And so they send who else but Peter and John to go check it out. And they come down and they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now we could talk about why the Holy Spirit didn't fall on them at the moment they received Christ uh, a later time. There's some good answers for that. It, it really makes a lot of sense. But what we want to get to is what's going on with Simon here. It says, when Simon saw the Spirit was given them through the laying on of the apostles' hands... He offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone whom, on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Simon was concerned with, how do I get this ability to lay hands on people, and they're going to receive the Holy Spirit? And we can, we can assume that as they were receiving the Holy Spirit, there was probably some type of visible sign. Maybe people were starting to speak in different languages, just like at Pentecost here. I want that. I need that. He thought he could get it. In the same way that we go about getting so many things that we get in life, right? When we go to buy a car, or we go to buy a house, or we go to buy a, a phone or a toy. We go to the store, we go online, and we pull up that, that green stuff or those little plastic cards, and we pay for those things. We make a trade, right? They have what we want. We're going to give them what they want. And that's actually the way it worked for magicians back in this day. It was common practice. You meet a magician who has better tricks than you. Well, you, you get them aside and you say, Here, here's, some, here's a little something here. Can you share with me you know, what the deal is? How does this work? And now it's my trick. That's the way it worked. But what Simon and so many other people tend to get wrong is that God is not for sale. He's not for sale. I remember being, uh, we were going around passing out flyers for a church that I was part of years ago. And I walked up to a guy and I said, hey, we'd love to have you at our service. I'm not going to that church. You just, you're just about selling stuff. I'm like, He's got it so wrong. God is not for sale. People might think that if they give God enough money or if they do enough nice things, if they go to church enough or they read their Bibles enough or they go on that missions trip or they pray enough, that somehow God will one day finally say, okay, that's enough. You've paid your dues. Welcome into the club. But it's a terrible mistake. 
And it's a terrible mistake for at least two reasons. The first is that there's nothing, there's nothing that you can do on your own that is good enough, perfect enough, acceptable enough to God. Isaiah tells us that, that even the, most, the best things that we have to offer, they're, they're, they're pitiful. They're, they're like polluted garments. They're, they're polluted by, with wrong motives, and, and our relationship with God isn't right in the first place, so they, they don't really matter, and, and the way that we go about doing them is wrong. And so no matter how many of them that we stack up onto the checkout counter, they're never going to be enough for what we need God to give us. It's the wrong currency. If you try to go buy a new puppy, and it's just so cute, my daughters would say, Dad, don't you think that's cute? And I'd say, well, I just don't get it. But <laughs> Someone might find this as cute, and they'd say, I, I gotta, I'm going to give all that I have. I, I, I need to get that puppy. And you, and you reach into your pockets, and you, you, all you have are Oh, rocks. And you put those up on the counter and you say, I, please give me this puppy. And they say, not a chance. You ain't getting no puppy. It's sad. Very sad. Someone might think. You don't have what God wants. And, and, and it's, not, it's not good enough. That's the first problem. The second problem is thinking that you can somehow offer God something to earn salvation, to buy salvation. Well, that just means you're totally clueless as to why you're separated from God in the first place. Again, it goes back to pride. You're so blinded by your pride that you, you, you think that you and God can make some type of a trade here. But what you really need is not a trade. You don't need an exchange. What you need is forgiveness. You need him to forgive you. You can't buy God's forgiveness. It's something that only comes through his amazing grace and mercy. And that's why God calls us in Isaiah 55. He says, come, everyone who thirsts. Have you ever been thirsty? I'm thirsty right now. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money. And without price. Why? Because this is free. You can't buy it. Simon got the currency wrong. What God desires is not for us to buy our way into heaven, but that we might humbly turn to him, confess our need, confess our sins, and look to him for forgiveness. Isaiah goes on. He says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. I used to think that he was talking about all those wicked people out there. <laughs> He's talking to me. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts. He's talking to me. If I understand my identity correctly, this is me. If I read Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 4 appropriately, then I was the one who was dead in my trespasses and sins. This is me. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive. This is the way it works. 
Simon got it wrong. Give me, here's some money. Give me the superpower. But Peter said to him, this is verse 20. May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. He got his identity wrong. He got his hope wrong. He got his currency wrong. Don't get your response wrong. Peter told Simon, repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours. Pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. Doesn't this fall in line with what we're talking about here? If you can get, get, get humble. Realize that he has what you need. Pray that you might be forgiven. He says, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity, which is what my mom used to tell me all the time. <laughs> gall of bitterness, <laughs> bond of iniquity. And Peter's, Peter's trying to get across here. You need to know just how lost you are. You need to understand just how mistaken you are here. When I realized I was sitting in the wrong classroom, I didn't, I didn't need anyone to tell me twice. I was utterly humiliated. I got out of there as fast as I possibly could. But here Simon is, and he's not getting it. Just like so many people don't get it to get today, do they? They hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus. It's possible to hear the good news of the gospel. And you should be completely torn up inside, realizing the error of, their, of your ways. Realizing how horribly you have betrayed your creator, the one who loves you, who gave his son for you. You should be cut to the quick, and yet they're not. Simon didn't see it. Like Jesus said in Matthew 13, 13, seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Peter told Simon exactly what he needed to do. What is that? It's simple. Repent. Turn around. Turn away from your wickedness and ask God for forgiveness. But Simon continued to get it wrong. Look at verse 24. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. I had to read that a couple times. If you know anything about Simon and you know what he goes on to become, you put everything together and you realize that what he's saying here is, you pray for me. I'm not interested. To Simon, what really mattered was boosting his career. It was about maintaining his popularity. It was about building his brand. It was about stashing a few more tricks up his sleeve. All this forgiveness stuff, all of this repentance stuff, this response that Peter is telling me that I need to make here, you know, I'm going to opt out of that. I, I, I don't really want to go there. Uh, just Here's some money, though. Here's some money. Come on, give me the tricks. It was like when a, a teacher tells you, you know, you can do this assignment or that assignment and you're going to get extra credit. That's what repentance was to him. Friends, repentance is not extra credit. 
turning from your sin, getting right with God. It's not just one of those nice extra things that God would like you to do. No, this is fundamental. This is basic. This is the step. Just to get completely raw for a moment. If you think that you and God are good, but you've got unresolved, ongoing sin in your life, sin that you're totally happy letting stay there. You haven't acknowledged it. You haven't confessed it. You haven't turned from it. You haven't seen it die up there on the cross with your Savior. Then you should in no way be thinking that he actually is your Savior. That, that, that you are his and he is yours and you have new life in Jesus. How could you when you're still neck deep in that old sinful lifestyle? When you were dead in your trespasses and sins, the lifestyle that Jesus came to save you from. Don't get this wrong. Repentance is not extra credit. I had someone call me up just recently and ask me, should, should, should I baptize this, this new couple that's coming to our church? They, they claim that they believe in Jesus. They haven't been, been baptized yet. Should, should I do it? Uh, but but I, I, I have found out that uh, they're not married, and um, they, uh, well, they tend to be living like they're married. Should I do that? And I paused for a minute, and I thought about it, and then I said, Wait a second, I don't, no, no, you can't, you can't baptize them. This doesn't make sense. This doesn't add up. I mean, how, how can you say that here is a couple that have placed their trust in Jesus, they have repented, they have turned from their sin, that old life is dead and gone, which they are going to act out in front of the whole church where you put them down in the water. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but he now lives in me, and you raise them to life, and there is newness of life here. How can you do that? How can you have them testify to the whole congregation that my old life is dead and gone and I am now in Christ when they're not? Romans 6.6 6 tells us, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, that doesn't mean that we're perfect. That doesn't mean that Christians are perfect. That doesn't mean that they don't trip up and do wrong things from time to time. But it does mean that when they do, they recognize this was wrong. This is what Jesus died for, and this is not good, and I need to at all costs put this away. They don't take sin and they don't put it up on the mantle in their living room and say, for all to see, isn't this lovely? Isn't, isn't this great? Oh, this is just such a wonderful part of my life. Oh, it just adds so much beauty and so much decor to my life. They don't do that because they put the old life to death. When Simon told Peter, you pray for me, he basically said, nope, not me. I'll take the good stuff that, that come. I want some of this stuff that Philip's doing here. That's, that's pretty cool. Peter, John, I'm really impressed. I'll buy it. But I'm not turning from my sin to trust a Savior. And the question for all of us, obviously, is what about us? 
Are we getting it wrong? Have we fooled ourselves into thinking that we're sitting in the right class? You know, you can spend your time hanging out with all those students. You can even do some of the homework. You can take the tests. But at the end of the day, there's going to be no credit applied to your transcripts. There are some things in life that are okay to get wrong. Sometimes trying is all you need to do to get a passing grade. But not when it comes to your standing with Jesus. It doesn't work that way. You need to get right your identity. Know that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. You need to get your hope right. Know that what you need is not a life enhancement. You need a life saver. You need to get your currency right. There's nothing good that you have to offer God. It's only through the precious blood of Jesus that you find your way through the gates of heaven. And finally, you need to know the right response. There's no way around it. Like Jesus said in Mark 1, 5, each and every one of us need to repent and believe the gospel. Have you turned from your sins? Have you called out to Jesus and asked that his sacrifice on the cross might be applied to the stains of your life, that it would cover them up, that, it, that his righteousness, that his perfect life would be credited to your life so that you have a perfect record because of him. If you haven't done that, you can do that, and you need to do that right now. Don't let another hour go by getting this wrong. And if you've already repented, and you've already believed, make sure that as you get out there and be the witnesses that God has called you to be, make sure you give them the right message, you give them the right information. Don't sell someone something that they don't need or that won't fix their problem. Tell them they need Jesus. Tell them what he came to give them. This is good. Tell them how he paid for it. And tell them how they can get it. Amen?